This is Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN 927's digital channel Carnival. I'm Peter Holden and welcome to the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast on RSN 927's digital radio channel in Melbourne, Carnival. Also via rsn.net.au and the RSN Racing and Sport app. You can also find this podcast by going to Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, Deezer, the iHeartRadio website and app, and at warfradio.com, or just Google search Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast. This is Season 7, Episode 1, kicking off 2021 with interviews with Georgina Hibbert, who is the author of Never Surrender, a book looking at the Giants' 2020 AFLW season, and the new VFLW head coach with Port Melbourne, Lachlan Harris. But first, the latest women's footy news. Now, there's a fair bit of women's footy news to cover from when we've been off air over the last couple of months, but we'll try and keep it brief as possible. Just giving you a heads up, there's a couple of new coaches and new captains, some injuries, some upgrades to the AFLW lists. Three Irish women will not be making their way out to Australia. And, of course, COVID still wreaking havoc with things. Let's begin by going back a couple of months to when the announcement was made by AFL headquarters for the 2021 season that will kick off on Thursday night, January 28th, all things being well, with Carlton and Collingwood at Icon Park. That would be round one. It would be a nine-round home-and-away season. No more conferences. It would be just the one single ladder, a top-six finals format. An entry fee would be charged for the first time ever to AFLW games, $10 a ticket. Part of that was part of COVID-safe measures to make sure everyone's name is registered for who is attending matches. Let's go across to the uh, Richmond Football Club. Finally, after the draft, they announced a coach, former Melbourne footballer Ryan Ferguson, will take over as AFLW senior coach at the time. Tigers. Some other movement at the Tigers include uh, Holly Whitford. She's been ruled out of the 2021 season due to a foot injury. She'll be replaced by daughter of former AFL umpire Scott McLaren, Hannah McLaren. Hannah, of course, was Oakley Chargers captain in the uh, NAB Girls Under-18s competition, now known as the Under-19s. Let's head across to the Dockers. Leah Maskell is set to miss the 2021 season after rupturing her left ACL at training prior to Christmas. Also, Jess Trent, who was taken by Fremantle, with a trade from the North Melbourne Tasmanian Kangaroos. Uh, Jess Trent is actually going to be inactive for the 2021 season. She'll be replaced by Subiaco's Maggie McLaughlin. Over at the Eagles, uh, Ashton Hill, who was trying to come back from an ACL injury, she needs more time. So with that, she has been replaced by Peel Thunder defender Demi Little. Also at the West Coast Eagles, they've announced their new coach. That is Daniel Pratt. Of course, he was a longtime assistant coach in the AFL system, he'll now be AFLW head coach. Here he is talking to the Eagles website. I think firstly is the opportunity to bring my philosophies and, and coaching thoughts over to a, a team on my own. I've been in the system for a long time now so that was a great opportunity and on the back of the enthusiasm and effort that the girls brought from the games last year, I think there's a lot to work with and uh, the excitement that I see around the club when I was part of the you know, AFL program was first class and the enthusiasm was infectious around the, our 
boys in particular in the pre-season and hoping to continue that on uh, going forward. That audio courtesy of westcoasteagles.com.au. The Geelong Football Club have announced a new captain following the retirement of their inaugural captain, Melissa Hickey, and that's Megan McDonald. The All-Australian will now be captain of the Geelong Cats AFLW side. Across to the St Kilda Football Club, they have a replacement in Jess Matten. She'll be coming in for Clara Fitzpatrick. Now, the Irish woman was hoping to get back to Australia in time for the 2021 season, but her visa application has not been processed. She's actually going for permanent residency, and she cannot enter Australia until that is all checked off. So she is missing the 2021 season. Denny Nong Stingray, Jess Matten coming in for her. Across the Brisbane Lions, Shardy Webb's going to sit out the season because she's pregnant. Congratulations, Shani. She'll be replaced by Cullen Gatter's Beth Pynchon. Across to the Western Bulldogs. Now, a tricky situation here. Irish woman Katie Heron will not be coming out. The Western Bulldogs say this is a mutual agreement. Katie has said in the Irish media that she disagrees with it, that she wanted more time at home in Ireland, particularly this being Christmas with her son before coming out. Uh, the Western Bulldogs said that would be too late and uh, have ruled her out for the 2021 season. She is replaced by 18-year-old Annabelle Strawn from the Bendigo Pioneers. Talking about Irish women, the third Irish woman not to come out for the 2021 season is Yvonne Bonner. Her husband, uh, Paul, was not granted permission to enter the country due to tightened border uh, restrictions, so she's going to sit it out. Uh, that leaves Cora Stoughton and Bridge Stack as the two Irish women playing for GWS. And talking about GWS, the whole side was moved to Albury to try and get around the COVID outbreak in Sydney. Now, originally, uh, there were border restrictions around uh, residents in Greater Sydney. It was hoped by moving GWS to Albury that they could stay there for two weeks and then the Giants would move down to Victoria mid-January to play a practice game, stay there for two weeks to satisfy, I guess you could call it quarantine requirements for WA before going across to WA at the end of January to take on the Fremantle Dockers in round one. However, there's a hiccup. The border between New South Wales and Victoria is now closed and the border between Victoria and WA is also closed, leaving the GWS Giants at the moment in Albury, in limbo, and round one of the AFLW fixture in limbo as well. And that is your latest women's footy news. Now you're up to date what's happened over the last two months. And so to our first guest for 2021 here on the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast on RSN Carnival. She's got a new book which is due out very shortly. It's called Never Surrender. It takes a look back at the 2020 AFLW season for the GWS Giants and perhaps maybe there needs to be a sequel on the way considering the crazy star we're also having to 2021. It's great to have on the line the author of Never Surrender, Georgina Hibbert. Georgina, how are you? Good, thanks, Peter. Thanks for having me. Great to have you on the line. And, well, congratulations on a book which we thought was an extraordinary season and just quietly it might be topped in the coming months. Yes, thanks. It's it's certainly um, beginning to look almost normal what happened last season, given the uncertainty now. Uh, But we'll see how it goes, I guess. So we need to pose this the question... You're actually originally a Sydney Swans fan. I believe uh, a good decade or so you've been following the Sydney Swans. So it begs the question, first of all, how did you end up being a foundation member and then wanting to write a book on your crosstown rivals, the GWS Giants? Yeah, I get asked this a little bit. Um, I guess I've committed a bit of a cardinal sin when it comes to um, 
football fandom. Um, but yeah, I, I was a Swans member for quite some time, and um, only but only since about 2010 because I didn't grow up with the game. I grew up in in regional New South Wales, and we just didn't have the game at all. It wasn't you know played where we lived, so we used to watch VFL once a week um, on the TV, and that was about it. But um, my son started playing in 2010, and I just fell in love with the game, um, having watched and played soccer for most of my life. And, um, yeah, we went to the Swans because they were local, um, got really into it. And then in 2017, the women's competition came around, and I really wanted to commit, uh, you know, put my money where my mouth is, I guess, and, and support a women's team. And it happened to be the Giants because they were the only ones here. Um, and then... In I think it was the third round, I went to their, the first live game I saw of theirs and that was it. I just kind of fell, I don't know, I wouldn't describe it as falling in love, but I sort of, I really just watched the game and it was a draw of all things and just went, wow, I think this is the thing for me. And I, yeah, I can't, I don't really know what happened, but then um, over time my, my fondness, I guess, for the club grew and, yeah, I'm now sort of all giants and I think some people who know me are a little annoyed, <laughs> but, you know, it, it is what it is, yeah. So when did this idea of writing a behind-the-scenes book on the AFLW giants come to you and how receptive to the idea were the Giants club because uh, we just seen recently a, a reporter who retired from AAP talking about how open the Giants are with the media. Yeah, they're, they're really open, to be honest. Um, I had, in in 2019, in that season, I'd actually tried to write something because um, I'd been writing for the Footy Almanac about their games the previous season, and I thought, oh, I'd love to do something bigger on this. Um, and it just wasn't, I wasn't hitting the right note with it. I couldn't sort of find what I wanted, where I wanted to be. And I thought to myself, I think I need to be on the inside. That, that's what will make this story and um, I happened to be reading a lot of Martin Flanagan at the time and um, I read Southern Sky, Western Oval and his other um, more recent one about the Bulldogs and thought, right, that's it, I'm going to ask them, um, can I be embedded with the team and write about their season? And I did ask them and they said surprisingly yes. So, um, yeah, they, they were incredibly open to the idea. Um, they... I guess for them it was a no-brainer. You know, I've rocked up and said, I'll write a book about your season and, you know, not be paid for it uh, and take on all the, the expenses stuff myself and um, just because I wanted to do it. So, yeah, from them, their point of view, there, there was nothing to lose, I guess. I guess it begs the question of, and this is all prior to us knowing that COVID was going to happen, uh, why write a book about season four, the 2020 season of the AFLW? Because for the Giants, each of the four seasons thus far have been unique. 2017, the inaugural season. 2018, new coach Alan McConnell comes in in the first Irish recruiting, Cora Staunton. 2019, first expansion. 2020, second expansion. Yeah, it, it, I didn't honestly pick 2020. It was just circumstances, I guess. Um, I'd been... I didn't have the time or space to sort of work on it before then and it was just happened to be, I think, you know, October 2019 when I, I thought I might do this and, um, yeah, I just thought, well, I'll do it next season. So, 
I guess every you're right. Every season with the Giants or well, with every club is unique. Um, and you're always when you're doing something like this, you do you know you think oh it'd be great if they go on and win a grand final because that'd be something wonderful to write about. But at the same time, I think it's more about the process of the season and and the ins and outs of it and. Certainly, you know, the highs and lows, which, you know, can be quite extreme in such a short period of time. So, yeah, in my mind, it wouldn't have mattered which season. It was just unfortunate that it was cut short. Can you talk about the access that GWS gave you to um, things like pre-season, midweek practice, um, even game day? Um, They gave me pretty much full access. from the very first day I showed up to training, I think it was in late November or December, um, Alan McConnell said to me, okay, you can come into every meeting um, unless they specifically say not this one. Um, you can come to every training. Uh, I went to all the pre, um, pre-season games, travelled with the team to Adelaide to a pro-practice match, um, travelled with the team whenever they uh, played away. I was in the rooms before and after games and at halftime. So, you know, I could see the warm-up, the meetings, um, how each player prepared, and also, you know, after the games when it couldn't be quite joyous, but it can also be quite, not quite so joyous. So, um, yeah, I was I was flabbergasted, to be honest, that, that they were very open, and particularly Alan. Um, he would... But if, if I didn't, couldn't make it to a review meeting, he would sit me down and talk me through it himself. So he was incredibly generous with his time, but as all the players were. So, yeah, it, it, the access with them was, was fantastic. Can you talk about how open they were? Not only when things are going well, because everyone loves a winner. When, you know, you're racking up the wings, you're flying up the ladder, everyone's chatty, everything feels great. But what about when things aren't going well? For example, after a loss, after a hard training session, and even for those that are carrying an injury? Um, yeah, I, I got to see it all warts and all, um, which, again, I was I was quite surprised about um, because the season is short. Um, but I, I, a player before the season had said to me, you know, you're going to see some really extreme emotions because that's what happens in an AFLW season. Um, and um, I did. Uh, I was able to go to um, meeting, review meetings after losses that were quite raw and emotional, and there were some really honest moments um, about the football, but there was also some – a lot of the players that I got to speak one-on-one with were very honest and open. You know, they spoke about things like mental health battles, um, you know, battles with um, just making ends meet when you play FLW and – Things like being homesick or, or, you know, feeling guilt at leaving, um, leaving families and partners and things because they've had to move cities for six months of the year. So the, the emotional and sort of, I guess, logistical side of things, they were very honest about. Um, and that was, yeah, I, I was very grateful for that. The saddest news last year for the Giants was the passing of Jacinda Barclay. Um, her teammate, Beck Beeson, um, covered a bit of uh, Cinder's uh, struggles uh, recently in a, a Guardian article. What did you observe of Cinder in 2020? And do you look back on those interactions differently after the, the sad news we all learned of? Um, Cinder, I mean, Beeson, her article 
pretty much summed up um, Cinder, I guess, in a lot of ways in that she was very private. She kept things to herself. But on the flip side, she was larger than life. And, you know, she took on life um, the way that she took on the footy on the field and or the way she would lay a tackle. Um, and I guess, you know, it's tempting to sort of look back at, at the season and look back at small things, but, um, you know, I didn't, I didn't know Cinder very well. I mean, as Bito said, many of them didn't, didn't realize what was going on. So, um, I haven't really thought back to, to small interactions or things because I guess it's just not something, it's not something that I, yeah, I'd, I'd prefer to do, I guess. The other shocks that happened during the season were due to the pandemic, COVID-19. When it hit, it hit twice to the AFLW season. That was on the Thursday after round six. Everyone's getting ready for round seven uh, for the GWS Giants. They were getting ready to host uh, Geelong. That was all thrown in the air. We were told, that's it. It's going to be a uh, top eight finals format to uh, lots of four from the both divisions, uh, both conferences, pardon me. And uh, GWS are now going to be playing against Melbourne. So you've got that shock one. And then, of course, shock two happens where for the rest of the teams that did win through the finals, uh, they wouldn't play on for week two and week three. The whole season would be scrapped. Can you talk about um, the craziness of, first of all, the season's being cut, and then there was a few hours that went by where no one knew exactly what teams were going to be in the finals and who was playing who. Yeah, it was it was certainly crazy. Um, and unfortunately, due to the AFL's um, restrictions, I lost access to the Giants uh, after we came back from the Adelaide game. Uh, the next morning, they said, that we've been told we can't have um, non-essential staff at the club. Uh, and they'd, they'd really reduce the number of people who were allowed out there. Because by this stage, of course, um, the men's team had started to train um, and the women's team were training off-site at, at Giant Stadium. So I, I spoke to quite a few players after the season and they told me about um, what had happened. So that enabled me, thankfully, to write, to write about that. But um, it, was, it was, from what they said, it was completely crazy. They didn't know... Um, you know, what was going to happen. They prepared for Geelong. I think Alan sat up all night then when they found out that they had to play Melbourne to prepare because he'd done all his work and then had to redo it all. Um, and they were, you know, very businesslike about it. They just got on with the job. Um, but there was a lot of uncertainty for some players around, you know, potential infections themselves or, you know, people losing jobs or people um, having to move out really quickly. And all that was happening before the final. So there was a lot of um, uncertainty around the, the competition itself, but also in individual lives. And I think that was probably the case for many of us. Um, you just didn't know from it was changing from hour to hour. Um, and I hope I've captured some of that in the book because I think it's a very um, unique part of part of um, the competition's history, but also... Um, you know, our history as, as a country and what happened in that time because I have to admit by the by the end of it, you know, football became quite, it wasn't as important as it had been given given what else was happening. Um, and 
but for the players, of course, they were playing their final, their first final, and it was just not, um, not the way they would like it to have played out at all in terms of, you know, not having a crowd there and, and things like that. Like that, I, I felt that they're real disappointment in that, but, you know, as they always do, they just got on with the job. As you alluded to, it really hyped, uh, pardon me, it really robbed uh, the Giants of the joy of having that first finals campaign where you'd normally have a week leading into it. You build up all the hype around it. Uh, and it would have been a um, home final uh, because they were sitting second on the Conference A ladder like they had against uh, Melbourne in the shortened finals format. Most likely they would have held a home final in a normal world. They would have, um, you know, packed out GWS Stadium. So it would have been a fantastic um, atmosphere. But all of that's gone. They've got to quickly switch on within 48 hours. They're playing the Melbourne Football Club. As history shows, uh, in the dying seconds, Melbourne still the win and the Giants do not proceed to week two you're having to view this all from afar and speak to them from afar what's it like sitting back and watching this happen of a crazy 48 hours then you're knocked out of the finals but with COVID-19 and all the world worried about that can you process what has just happened with this finals loss um not really no it was I had to unfortunately watch it on television um and I had some contact with some players that, you know, you don't want to, they're focused on, on, on playing football and playing a final. So you sort of stay away from them when, if you're not actually there observing them. But um, that I think I found it very difficult given I'd got to know a lot of the players and I'd spent so much time with them as a group over the season. And it was, it, I mean, I, you find, as a football fan, you obviously find losses you know, gut-wrenching at the best of times. But this one was particularly hard to stomach because of what I'd seen and how I knew the women, but also how it happened. And that I, in my amateur sort of status as a football coach, didn't quite understand what had happened on the field because, you know, on TV you only see a very small window of it. Um, And I didn't have the benefit of speaking to, listening to Alan speak about the game afterwards. So I just... I couldn't understand it. Um, and I think when I spoke to some of the players, they had a similar thing. It was like watching a car crash happen. They, they couldn't quite understand it. Um, and it wasn't helped by the fact that they then had to all just, um, had to all just pretty much go home to where, to their home states or um, because to get home before borders closed. So they didn't have the usual exit interviews or reviews or any kind of time to sort of, decompress or debrief about it um, and I think so it's sort of there is a sense of unfinished business for them um, and I think it's it's like it's, it's it's a new season but I can imagine it's sort of you know that's still fresh in their minds and it'll certainly galvanize them from an author's point of view how hard is it to finish a book like that and and have the final page the final sentence written in what is a lot of uncertainty where normally here's the satisfaction you've won the premiership the end into we're knocked out of finals and what's next no one really knows considering the times we live in yeah there were a few times when I thought my book had gone um when that season looked like it wasn't going ahead or you know um it didn't sort of, it wasn't forming the natural or the kind of usual arc of a football season story that you expect. But um, there was certainly, you know, for me, it was a sort of, 
it was AFLW. It's what happens. It's there's there's uncertainty every season. They don't know the draw until you know close to the, their competition. They don't always know whether they're going to have conferences or not. Like they they live with with this uncertainty constantly, um, and they're living with it right now. They you know we don't know. The Giants have plans, but we all know just sitting back watching what's going on with the borders that that may not actually come to fruition. Um, so I think there's definitely, you know, you think there's, there's more story to be told, yes. In the space of time that you've announced pre-orders for Never Surrender, um, COVID has hit the Sydney region hard and it's affected the Giants again. Uh, GWS have located to Albury. Now, the original plan was they were moving to Albury to kind of uh, unofficially quarantine, at least to stay in the region for 14 days. And then they were going to play a practice game in mid-January in Victoria against Carlton, where by being in Victoria for 14 days was then going to give them the clearance to be able to go to WA and uh, at the end of January play Fremantle in round one. But since that moment, the borders between New South Wales and Victoria have closed. And even if they were to get across the border into Victoria, the border between WA and Victoria has closed. So considering all of this, are you tempted to put out a sequel to your book considering the, the crazier and crazier situations the Giants find themselves in? Yes, I have, to be honest. It's been a couple of players have actually suggested it too, um, said, you know, you should be writing about this one as well. Um, but it, obviously I, I don't have and I can't get access like I had last season due to COVID rules. Um, and I can't, certainly couldn't go into a hub. But um, it's, it's there's definitely, I think, you know, as I said, unfinished business for the team, but also... In terms of the story, it does feel like, you know, you just kind of, there's a what next sort of feeling about never surrender, I guess. And certainly this season is, is pointing that to the fact that there might be more highlights in terms of crazy situations. So, um, I, I mean, it's, it's not impossible. It would be a matter of writing it retrospectively and, you know, doing interviews and looking at notes and things. But, um, yep, I'd never say never, that's for sure. And we want you to never surrender. You can actually get the book right now at neversurrender.sydney. So all I have to do, Georgina, is essentially go online and pay, and then what will happen from there? Um, once it's being printed at the moment, so once we I get delivery of it, um, they'll be sent out. Uh, so hopefully that'll be in mid-January. Um, but I'll keep people up to date and, uh, yeah, we'll go from there. We were planning to have some kind of launch, but that's been put on ice now that, um, the players aren't here and COVID's squashed everything again. So, um, yeah, the book will be uh, sent out as, as soon as it arrives, basically. And at the moment on sale online, twenty nine ninety five. never surrender Dot Sydney is the address that you need to go to to check out Never Surrender, the story of the 2020 GWS AFLW season as written by Georgina Hibbert. Georgina, thank you very much for joining us here on the Women's Australian Football Podcast on RSN Carnival. Uh, stay safe during these uh, crazy times and fingers crossed that we do get an AFLW season away and in full this time for 2021. 
Thanks so much for having me, Peter. And yes, let's fingers crossed that season goes ahead. Don't go anywhere. The new coach of Port Melbourne in the VFLW, Lachlan Harris, is up next here on the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast on RSN Carnival. Been playing for a while. Sweet kicks. Because footy makes you smile. Sweet kicks football. If you're getting ready for the trials, gotta go the extra mile. Sweet kicks football. Not always hearing that sweet sound when you kick the ball? Need to develop your footwork or explosive speed? Want to take the next step in your footy career? Then you need Sweet Kicks. More info on our Facebook page or go to our website, sweetkicksfootballacademy.com.au. Gotta go the extra mile. Sweet Kicks Football. And joining us on the line now here at the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast on RSN Carnival for 2021. His football world has changed a lot in the last year and a half. When we last spoke to him, it was September 2019, the VFLW Grand Final. And a few hours later, as an assistant coach, he'd walk away with a premiership medal. He'd then head off to Weemstown but never really get to put plans into action courtesy of COVID-19. Now he's at Weemstown's arch rival, the new head coach in the VFLW for the Port Melbourne Football Club. It's great to have on the line Lachlan Harris. Lockie, how are you? Very good, thanks, Pete. Thank you very much for having us. Have you taken a chance to take a breath and uh, try and assess what the heck has happened to this world and your world in the last 18 months? Uh, yeah, mate, it's, it's been good. Obviously, a bit of, as you just touched on, real whirlwind um, since you know, we probably saw each other last even at Icon Park, but um, yeah, it's been crazy and you know, kind of taking a bit of time over the Christmas break to sit back and reflect and um, yeah, kind of get going again soon, hopefully. Now, before we focus on your current role with the uh, Port Melbourne Football Club and the relatively short time frame, you've got to put everything together. Let's pick up from uh, that 2019 Premiership. When you do look back on that, do you think you ticked all the boxes and everything was executed to plan or as much as it's strange to say, walking away with a premiership medal, you go, geez, there's one or two things we didn't quite get right and, you know, I wouldn't have minded another crack at it in 2020. Um, yes, I think we tick all the boxes. Obviously, the, the main thing for us was, I think we touched on the day, development and making sure that those girls get an opportunity to go on to the next level. And, um, you know, see, seeing the way that players like, you know, the Joya and Xenos and Porter played, um, then get drafted, obviously tick some boxes for us. And, you know, at the end of the day, the girls play free to win and to give the girls an opportunity to uh, win a premiership medal at a state league level, which for some of them um, hadn't won even a premiership before. So, yeah, really happy with the way the day unfolded, Pete. How surreal is that feeling where when you're in that development role, are you developing players that are already on the AFLW list playing in VFLW to get better in AFLW, but then you've got those really good ones that you're developing, but they're VFLW listed players and you know you're not going to see them again realistically. They're going to be shipped off elsewhere in the draft. Yeah, you've got to have a, a two-fold approach to that. You know, some girls that are coming through NAB League, VFLW, you, you don't want to see them the next year. If you, if you don't see them the next year, and I you love having your club, if you don't see them the next year, you've done your job. Um, and that's probably what gets you know, really good you know, reward and satisfaction of seeing that happen and seeing them be able to achieve their dream. Um, 
but also seeing BFLW girls that haven't played AFLW footy and still haven't played AFLW footy continue to strive and push for that next opportunity. Um, and just a fake is really good, mate, at the end of the day. So come the end of the 2019 season, we knew Collingwood was going to be heading in a different direction with Stephen Simons now in charge of the AFLW program. Chloe McMillan would take over the VFLW head coach's role. Penny Kula-Reed would uh, pack up as a reigning premiership coach and head off to Weemstown. Was that almost a package deal? Did Penny almost hint to you, if I go, will you go with me? Actually, no. Um yeah, you know, and, and Steve's been a, a really good mentor to me, even then the time we had BFL going forward. But it was actually Andy Collins gave us a buzz uh, through a mutual friend um, and spoke about the BFL men's program. And then Penny and I started talking um, about the women's program, and then I ended up with the men's program. And Penny's like, why are you here? How about you do our list management for us as well? Um, which is awesome for me to learn under someone like Colo, but also to continue to upskill in that list management. And uh, it's just the way the world happens. World works, doesn't it? So, teaming up with Penny again was awesome. So, there you are. You're at Weemstown. You're building a list for the uh, 2020 season. You've uh, picked up a few ex-AFLW recruits in there. Bridie Kennedy, at that stage, was going to be playing for Weemstown. Um, you also had Sean Smith's daughter as well, who ended up being taken by North Melbourne uh, in the draft. She was going to be playing at uh, Weemstown. A nice little list that you were building up to improve off Weemstown's wooden spoon performance the previous year. And then COVID-19 hit. How frustrating is that to have essentially all your plans in place, but you physically can't put them out there? No, absolutely. Uh, and I think we, we played two practice games at Willie and uh, Long down at Deacon and then uh, Richmond at Hunt Road, actually. And we're starting to see some really good signs. And, you know, a couple of the players you mentioned, Bridie and um, Amy and girls like Katrina Tinson moving her whole life, life over from Perth and then uh, playing a couple of practice games and going bang. And so... We actually stayed really engaged um, and, you know, full credit to Penny for the relationship focus is massive for her in that COVID season and, and they built a really good culture um, of girls that wanted to continue to drive. And as you said, mate, you know, really taken that next step of structure and relationship and for professionalism to Williamstown uh, to be able to provide an you know, exciting brand of footy. We had the pieces there. Never eventuated, um, you know, this little global pandemic we're currently experiencing. How difficult is that conversation with the players? We, we had two stages where the season came undone. We had uh, the first yeah. stage where they said, okay, the season won't go ahead, but we're going to do this super series type deal where there'll be four teams. So there's still a chance for Weemstown players to participate in that. And then obviously then the state government comes over the top a couple of weeks later when COVID got really bad and we went into stage four lockdown. How's that dealing with the players? They've gone through all this preseason. They're all hyped up. They're, they're almost near their physical peak, and then that's it. As athletes where you want to compete, you now can't do anything. Yeah, so, and I, I face it twofold in that sense because we have the VFL men's team as well. Mm. Um, so having to you know, have those conversations twice over was really interesting. And you know, how do we give initially give the players space to be able to deal with that um, themselves and emotionally, financially, family, all that kind of stuff? get to the Super Series as you talk VFLW and you know we had we were really lucky we had players that were really keen to go we thought some really good chances um, started with some one-on-one small group stuff when we were able to um, yep 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 let's go and then 
go through that whole process again. We'll give you some time, get your family right, get your finances right, look after yourself if that's priority, and then um, yeah, it's just no, it's just a roller coaster. It doesn't seem to end at the moment. Did you actually have any players at that time say, "Okay, I'm splitting and I'm going interstate"? Because we noticed, like with, for example, the and VFLW, we saw Courtney Eugle, for example, go, "Okay, I know someone, the Cole Graves, for example, up in Queensland. I'm going to split up to Coolangatta. I'm going to play football up there." Yeah, Katrina Tinson was one of those girls. So we got her over uh, from East Rio and. She ended up going back home to East Frio and um, playing uh, there for the season under I think Nikki Harwood, um, obviously um, ex Collingwood as well. So uh, the obviously Katrina and track her progress was great. But then we also had a group probably a bit later on in the year, about six to eight girls from Williamstown and a lot of leadership group, and um, that went to Darwin actually um, through some relationships and got out out to play a back end of a season up in Darwin um, and to kind of really take that what they've learned from a skill development understanding and then transition that into a game. And I wish you get a hell of a lot shooter too, Pete, being up in the nice temperate conditions up at the top end. Slightly warmer, slightly warmer than a Melbourne winter. A yeah, I think the first couple of texts and phone calls we did with those girls, it was going, yeah, you weren't wrong about humidity and um, trying to get through that. So it was a nice little eye-opener for them. So we've had the Melbourne winter, we've gone through it all, we've had no football, and then all of a sudden we're starting to roll around October, November. There's going to be a light at the end of the tunnel. The VFLW season has been announced at that stage that sometime in February we're going to kick off. The season was going to run through to July. It's going to start to align with AFLW. You're preparing for that. And then the news comes through that, well, we'd already known for some months that Richmond were pulling out of the VFLW mm-hmm. competition. There was a space to be filled and Port Melbourne was coming into it. Naturally, once they take the licence, they're looking for a coach. What's going through your mind at that stage when that job's been advertised? Because you're currently at their arch rival at Weemstown yeah. and you're still trying to put a list together for men and women working on both sides where you still haven't been able to do anything match day-wise with Weemstown because of all this COVID stuff. Yeah, and... It wasn't something I necessarily went out and really hunted. Um, obviously, you know, having experienced other places, wanted to really make sure that the if the opportunity came around, I was you know right and ready to go. But uh, through obviously Glenn Barnforth, the footy manager there, he's uh, he and I have known each other um, through a previous life and kind of touched base and said, "Hey, would you be keen to put your hand up?" And I'm like, oh, "Yeah, okay." Um, and like, the process happened pretty quickly. Um, and I was literally in the process of looking at contracts, contracting girls for Williamstown, first week of Williamstown training, and it kind of went bang, bang, bang. And um, yeah, it's all fallen into peace now. So I've got myself a bit of work to do. Um, but they, the first conversation with you know Penny and, and Claudia and Jason Reddick at the club, um, they were fully supportive, you know, obviously disappointed, but completely understand of what the opportunity is. Um, I think one of the first things I opinion was, all right, let me know who you're taking. Um, so that was, we'll, we'll see how that lands, Pen. <laughs> very cheeky, very cheeky indeed. Now, you've had the interview process for, for the gig at Port Melbourne. I believe you were in front of a panel. If I'm correct, I think yep. Gary Ayres, the VFL men's coach, was on that panel as well. Can you explain what 
Port Melbourne were trying to pick your brains about and what they were trying to get from you as in information about what type of game plan and how you see the development over a period of time for their new side? Yeah, so um, obviously Ayersy, Glenn, Paul, Malcolm, um, Kate Sheehan, obviously from a, a Richmond point of view, uh, and I think independent uh, people in there as well. Um, really, the, the first part was you know, very much around wanting to get the right people in and having the right people with a new team. And uh, as you know, Port Melbourne as a community um, is very tight-knit. And you know, once, once you're in Port Melbourne, you are Port Melbourne. And um, I think that's right finding what the my belief, um, and I hope they feel this void, is you know, finding the right person to help build the community, get the community around. Not so much about this is exactly how we're going to move the ball, but a little bit about philosophy. And I took, um, and based on obviously my history, Peter, my approach was a lot around development and how we can continue to grow and develop a team that not only you know, can play exciting brand of footy, but also values the you know tradition and the culture of Port Melbourne Footy Club and the community and um, that's kind of what I pitched, and you know, as he said, Ezzy was on there and throwing a few questions at at me about, you know, do you like having fun at training, and you know, what kind of culture you want to build, and how you're going to build culture, and um, you know, then how are you going to be able to teach and all this you know, the footy kind of in depth stuff as well. But it was very much around what are we going to value, how are we going to value that, and how are we going to make the girls, I guess, lack of a better term, drink the Kool Aid and buy in. Um, that was pretty much the the nuts and bolts of it. We talk about the Kool-Aid at Port Melbourne. We know from a men's side, there's a long and storied rivalry with the Williamstown Football Club that goes back, uh, we're talking around uh, almost 140 years, the well-known hatred at VFL level between the Seagulls and the Borough. How do you address that from a women's point of view? Is it something that you lean on, that you try and build up that rivalry? Or do you let it slide, say, no, that's the men's. We need to have our own rivalries. Well, I think it's going to probably be a little bit twofold in that sense. It's you can't create something that's not there, but there's also going to be a sense of developing what previously has been there. So, yes, we'll, I'm sure at some stage, and we haven't banged on about it at all, and haven't even really talked about it much internally around you know, me coming from really to there and. I've got a lot of really good friendships and at Suffolk Willie, but it's going to be around, okay, if this is the history of the club and this is the history of the VFL and the VFA, um, et cetera, then can we tap into this? Can we use it as a motivator? Um, what will that first game look like? Don't know. Uh, will it potentially spark something else? Don't know. Uh, would it be good for footy if it does? Probably. Um, but, yeah, we won't be making anything that's unnatural and inauthentic, unauthentic. Um, English isn't my strongest point, Pete, but um, you know, let's make something that's, we use the history and then build our own history as well. The interesting part of Port Melbourne coming into the VFLW is there's an alignment or an agreement, whichever way we want to call it, with the Richmond Football Club. Um, Interesting on two aspects. One, at least the last decade and a bit, Port Melbourne were very proudly standalone, and now they're entering again uh, into an alignment here with Richmond. Um, What does this mean when it comes to lists, first of all, before we even talk about game plan, but when it comes to a list, normally you would have something like 30 to 40 players on a list. We know things are changing. We're going to 16-a-side football in the VFLW. 
considering you'll have um, anywhere from one to ten players from Richmond that are going to be available to play on the um, on your match day list, um, how many players will you be training with as your squad? So we'll have the same squad as any other, um, I guess, VFLW, AFLW aligned club, so Collingwood, Carlton, Southern Saints, Casey. Um, so we won't differ in that sense. Uh, so in that argument, or in that sense, we treat it as a AFL aligned club. Um, so, you know, anywhere between 30 to 40, um, I think we'll, we'll be our final squad. And obviously then we'll get the Richmond girls to come in. But I think one of the really key points that, Myself and Ryan Ferguson have spoken deeply about, and, and Kate and um, and Lauren uh, being at the club as well is around. Okay, how do we make it feel that when these Richmond girls come back, they feel valued? You know, and that's a really big point that I've spoken to our girls about: is valuing the individual and valuing the collective. But how do we make these Richmond girls come back to a they've been dropped? the first half of the season they feel valued and they don't feel like I'm walking to a team I don't know anyone that they are part of the Port Melbourne Football Club then still respecting and, and valuing everything that Richmond are trying to do in the AFLW but when they come back they feel valued and they're not an outsider coming in they are part of the fabric of the footy club that's probably the big key thing for us um, being with that alignment um, is first of all valuing players and because, you know, you, you value them. They're going to be confident. If they're confident, they can perform their role. If they perform their role well, these Richmond girls are going to get back up in the A4W team. And that's a win for us as well. Let's talk about the influence that Richmond may have. If we look at, for example, when you were previously at Collingwood, where Collingwood controls its own reserves, the AFLW, VFLW. Mm-hmm. Uh, we saw, for example, when Wayne Siegman was then head coach of the AFLW, he'd regularly go along to VFLW match days. Some days he'd do the running. Some days he'd sit in the coaches' boxes, no doubt with a word in Penny's ear saying maybe a few things you'd like to see, particularly out of the AFLW-listed players for their development um, and getting back into the AFLW squad. With um, the Richmond Football Club, are they going to be able to have any say or influence over game plan, match decisions from from your perspective, or are they virtually being told, our players are going back to you, but everything on match day, you're in 100% control? Probably the key one in there is, and you touched on it there, a little little bit of relationships. So the key relationships are going to be me and Ryan, Ferguson and, and Ryan, I've had a number of chats already and caught up around different things. Um, and I'll touch on that in a second. And then obviously the relation between um, obviously our footy department and Glenn and Paul and uh, then Kate and the, the team at Richmond. Um, the big thing being philosophy. You know, there's not so much a it's a relationship and then the philosophy of how we want to play. How do Richmond want to play? How do we want to play? That there's no point doing two things completely opposite. Because that's only going to make it harder for you know for the first half of the year. These girls coming down and you know trying to get a game back in the AFLW team, having to learn a whole new game style and philosophy and, and language and all that kind of thing. But it's not going to be a you know it's not going to be a carbon copy. And that relationship between you know Ryan and I um, and and the two clubs is going to be the key thing to be able to you know change things, manipulate things um, and get the best out of players both for these AFLW girls but also the best out of players from a Port Melbourne point of view to to showcase their best talents going forward because it's it's going to be a two-way uh, servicing avenue um, 
you know, to get girls that AFLW better and get girls from Port Melbourne drafted into the AFLW. So we're on the same page philosophically uh, about what we want to do and, you know, we'll continue to work together throughout the year rather than, you know, one overpowering the other. Our chat with Lachlan Harris, the new coach of Port Melbourne in the VFLW, continues after this. We are the Australian Literacy and Numeracy Foundation, striving to empower our most marginalised communities through literacy and education. Literacy is having a voice. Literacy is opportunity. Literacy is dreaming big. Literacy is freedom. Today, you can help end inequality and give every child access to our life-changing and proven literacy programs. Your support is vital. Donate now at alnf.org. On RSN 927's digital radio channel, Carnival, rsn.net.au and the RSN Racing and Sport app, you're listening to the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast. I'm Peter Holden. We're chatting with Lachlan Harris, the new coach of Port Melbourne in the VFLW. Let's talk through the coaching stuff that's been announced uh, so far. Uh, you've got as uh, head of development assistant coach, Pat De Natale. You've got your midfield coach, Yul Mustafa, and a playing assistant coach that'll be looking after the defence in the Belinda Ashley. Yeah, absolutely. So I'll probably go the backwards, uh, uh, the other way through that. So uh, Binzi Belinda, she'll she's been Port Melbourne through and through her whole life. She grew up doing Vic Kick at Northport Oval. Um, so you know, it lives in Port Melbourne. Um, is well known around the Port Melbourne community. Um, played in the community team for the last couple of years in the South East Women's Footy League with Port. So really important to get Binzi on board. Um, and obviously was captain of the South East Women's Interleague team say last season, 2019. Um, it's important to get her on board from a cultural point of view and a Port Melbourne community point of view, but also what she could do as a leader and a playing coach on the field um, and be able to set at the back line be awesome. You'll, you're fantastic. He's, he's full of energy. He's done a development coach role at Hawks 2018, the FLW Premiership. Um was doing 2019 assistant role at Hawks and obviously he's going to do more of this 2020 but um, he's come over on board and on the new for a little bit so I was pretty keen to get him on and and then Paddy uh, so new Paddy throughout I put him as a head development and that's like a similarish kind of role to what I was doing at Collingwood because I really value someone that can focus on that development role and can focus on individual development plans and plays really improving uh, rather than having and then we'll have support from all the other coaching staff go through there so still working through uh, four line coach Pete if you want a job we can put a whistle around your neck um, but we'll uh, we'll get through that in time and uh, I think we, we'll put together a really good group um, we've got a couple of players that will do some development stuff for us as well Let's talk about the players and, and trying to sign them. First of all, what mad scramble has it been since you took over the job literally just over a month ago and you've yep. got a start date of February 27 of trying to... No, no doubt many players have been locked away at other clubs already and you're just trying to pick out here, there and everywhere any available name you can to put together a squad. Probably wouldn't say any available name. Um, you know, and probably fortunate enough that you know, Tom at Collingwood, Tom at Willie, um, I've, you know, got a, a database full of players that I've kept an eye on over time. And, you know, probably first and foremost, you know, well, two things, you've got relationships that you have as a coach and um, players that you know and uh, that you can talk to and that you trust will be good for a new program, especially talk around that culture and that value set. 
Um, but then players, your best recruiters as well. You know, how can we talk to player X to get player Y because they've got a really good relationship. Does play, you know, does play Y then link in with what we want to do? Um, so it's been a mad scramble. You're not wrong, but you know, we're kind of really keeping an open eye and um, you know, providing opportunities for those that you know, may have been at a VFLW club or been playing local footy and, and want to test themselves. It's not a, you know, no, we're just going bang, 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 bang. But we've really taken a direct focus on the person that we've brought into the program as well as the talent they can play and um, to better play a style that we want to play as well. Out of the names that you've uh, released so far via the Port Melbourne Football Club website, a good dozen, um, uh, a good sprinkling of experience in there. I'll start off, first of all, with Dutchie, Melissa Kyes. Experience, obviously, in the Collingwood uh, AFLW program and last year at the St Kilda AFLW program and also was a captain with the Hawks in the VFLW prior to that, a captain at Knox in the old VWFL. Yeah, so uh, really fortunate. That's why I talked about relationships just before and, uh, I spent a lot of time with Kaizy 20, uh, 2019 season, getting my years right here. Uh, VFLW, when she was um, AFLW listed, uh, unfortunately she was injured a fair bit, so we um, had to see my face most sessions doing a lot of development work with her. So, um, And that's it. You know, It was, it was flagged uh, through Glenn that she might be interested, so uh, lived down the road from me, caught up had a coffee, spoke about the bit and the opportunities that we could hopefully provide from her um, and hopefully she gets a really good run of it this year and gets an opportunity to go back up to the AFLW level. But as you said, the leadership, the education you can provide for these, this group and not just on field, but off field in terms of setting up a new program um, was invaluable for us. And you, know, you mentioned another ex-AFLW girl earlier and Bridie Kennedy um, for getting her over and bringing those experiences from, as you said, Hawthorne VFLW, um, Collingwood St. Kilda AFLW, Bridie from um, Carlton and what kind of things can we learn um, to implement into our program starting fresh and also have some really strong uh, Richmond influence stuff as well and um, yeah that, that was kind of a really important point for us and getting some experience and girls that have been at a high level Just for a moment wearing your development hat what do you see yep. as the possible areas of improvement for Bridie Kennedy and, and I mention it for this reason Bridie, of course, was co-TAC Cup best and fairest in the same year with Chloe Malloy. Now, obviously, mm-hmm. Chloe's just shot through the roof and, you know, having a fantastic career at uh, Collingwood where Bridie hasn't been able to go on the same trajectory as Chloe has. Where do you see the possibilities for improvement for Bridie, who's already had that little bit of experience but is not tracking uh, as well as Chloe? Yeah, I think, you know, looking at NAB League, best and fairest sometimes depends on, as with any best and fairest, sometimes it's the amount of games you play and what other players you've got in your team and what time to do that. So not to discredit Bridie as well. I think Bridie is a terrific young person and a terrific player. Um, fortunate enough that I was getting Bridie to Williamstown. Um, so had her there. Um, hadn't been a, a announced officially, but had her there. So I've been working with her now for 12 or so months. What we're really looking for, Bridie, is being able to use her athletic ability and I think that really stood out in her NAB League season and, um, you know, really focusing on her aerial strength, uh, focusing on being able to link up between the arcs, really things like that and how we could potentially, you know, use her athletic ability and improve her aerial ability to be a damaging player rather than just um, at ground level speed, um, which I think what's traditionally been 
um, I guess, her go-to. So that's where we're really seeing her improve over the next, hopefully, you know, six to 12 months. Um, and we've been doing some really close work on that already for the past six to 12. So. And since we mentioned Carlton, you've also got Courtney Bromage, who came out of the Carlton VFLW list and last year uh, played at Yoronga South Brisbane in the QAFLW competition. So she's at least one player with some 2020 experience under her belt. Yeah, yeah, I did mention Bromo earlier, and, and that kind of comes in uh, earlier. So being a Queensland born myself, I've known Bromo for a number of years. So, um, yeah, that, it was great to see. Bromo and I actually escaped up to uh, Queensland for a little bit um, throughout COVID and was actually able to be at a couple of Courtney's finals games to provide her, you know, with some one-on-one support and help and we had some feedback in games, which obviously helped when we started having a conversation then about um, Port Melbourne. Um so, yeah, I think she's going to be able to play a really good, um, you know, midfield role inside, outside for us. Um, you know, showed it in the QW, QAFLW, get it, get it right now, um, that she's able to, you know, even impact going inside the arc and hitting the scoreboard. Um, so, you know, hopefully we can utilise what she really learnt in that Yoronga um, Premiership last year or this year. And there is one uh, further tied to the Richmond Football Club where you have the alignment with. That is Lisa Davey, a former VFLW defender for them you've signed. Yeah, LD. Italy's uh, been awesome. Uh, so probably along with uh, Belinda, they'll probably look at if you can work it out down back. And, um, you know, with her experience and stuff there, um, she's been even really good... Uh, a really good leader already on the on the training track and off the training track around you know had, helping other girls out and talking to girls where you know I might say one one something one way and she'll explain another way and um, she's been fantastic in that in that sense um, and as I say players your best recruiters so um, and LD's had some really good experience um, and she, you know she'll bring some things to the club which we may not have had a um, opportunity to get otherwise. And finally, before we let you go, Lockie, your KPIs yep. for the year, bar the ladder position, of course, everyone would love to win the Premiership, but yep. what boxes do you want to achieve and tick off in that first year of Port Melbourne's presence in the VFLW? Yeah, I think the big one for us and our group, um, and probably preface on that, is making our club somewhere where players want to be, players feel valued. Um, you know, there's a lot of times where... Um, you know, can get bright eye and, and, and starry faced around the opportunity to go to an AFLW club and be there. But if we can be a club that's well known that values our players and values our staff and provides opportunities for them to go forward. Um, that would that would be you know, a real feather in our cap. Um, and then secondly, you know, to get some girls out of our program drafted. Um, you know, that's going to be a, a byproduct of the work we do as a staffing group, uh, but also the work we do um, on the field and the work that these girls put in and how they're, va- and how they're valued. Um, hopefully we can get a few girls drafted and that'll be, you know, that, that'll be a nice little win for us. And hopefully we're playing some really, really good, attractive footy um, that the community want to come down and watch. And probably the final part to that piece of the puzzle is, you know, having a really strong support from the Port Melbourne community um, as we know how strong those VFL men's you know crowds have been you know historically and then even support from you know the Richmond Football Club community and getting around supporting their players when they're playing with us um, you know if we can tick those boxes we'll be happy and 
of course, Pete would, would love to win as many games as we can, and you know, really give it a crack. And um, yeah, we'll see where we'll see where that ends up. Hopefully, you know, come late July, mid July, late July, we're having a chat again. Well, Lockie, thanks very much for joining us here at the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast on RSN Carnival. Congratulations again on the 2019 VFLW Premiership with Collingwood as an assistant coach and all the very best of luck in your new role as head coach of Port Melbourne in the VFLW. No, thank you, Pete. Look forward to uh, catching up throughout the year and uh, full thanks and full credit to you and your team for uh, supporting women's football and, and putting it on the map week in, week out. Before we go, let's head up to the top end for a scoreboard check. Yes, the NTFL women's competition based out of Darwin runs throughout the Australian summer and they're about to come back from their Christmas break. After 12 rounds of an 18-round season, the ladder currently looks like this. First place is Pint, undefeated, 11 and zip. St Mary's second on 8 and 3. Behind them, Darwin Buffett's on an 8 and 2 record. Fourth spot, the reigning Premier Southern Districts on a 6 and 3. The Nycliffe Tigers, 6 and 4. And running out the top six, Waratah with a 4 and 6 record. In seventh is Palmerston, 2 and 9. Wanderers, eighth with a 1 and 9 record. And bottom of the table, ninth position, Tracy Village, yet to register a win. Round 13 of the NTFL Women's Competition begins this weekend. All games on Saturday, the 9th of January. Kicking the dew off the grass at 11am, Darwin Buffett's versus Tracy Village at TAO Stadium. Followed immediately at the same ground by Nycliffe versus Pint. That start time is 1pm. Out to Gazaley's Arena, 3pm on Saturday, Palmerston Magpies versus St Mary's. And the night game, 8pm at TIO Oval number two, that's the oval out the back. Uh, Wanderers versus Southern Districts. Waratah with the bye. And that wraps up our first episode of 2021 Season 7 of the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast. Before we go, a little bit of housekeeping. Now, we were hoping to bring you a couple of AFLW practice matches live this year, like we did in 2017, 18 and 19. However, there is a question mark over that simply because of the current COVID-19 situation and who's allowed at what ground. And even if games uh, go ahead, everything's still up in the air at the moment due to the outbreak uh, in New South Wales and uh, some locally acquired cases in Victoria. Once we know more, we'll let you know via our social media channels, Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Just go slash WARF radio and also WARFradio.com. All being well, we will be back for the VFLW season. Fingers crossed that it goes ahead for 2021. The season is due to kick off on February 27, 28. Unfortunately, we can't tell you what games we're doing yet simply because there is no fixture at the moment as we speak. Once the fixture comes out, you should know in a day or two what games that we plan to broadcast live on RSN Carnival 2. So keep an eye on our social media and WARFradio.com for that. Don't forget this podcast is available every Wednesday night by going to Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, Deezer, the iHeartRadio website and app and WARFradio.com or listen to it Wednesday, 6pm Australian Eastern Daylight Savings Time right here on RSN Carnival Digital Radio in Melbourne via rsn.net.au and the RSN Racing and Sport app. I'm Peter Holden. Thanks so much for your company. And until next week, it's bye for now.